What's up, everybody, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. A goodness gracious, we have a lot of bull crap to get over at the start of the show. But first off, before we get into the actual bull crap, let's get over some of the other bull crap we have to get into before we start the show. Make sure you're following Logan Blackman Show on all forms of social media, Twitter. Just search Logan Blackman. Logan underscore Blackman's the Twitter. Blackman Logan is the Instagram or the Logan Blackman Show one for the show's account. Go and like the Facebook page. Just search the Logan Blackman Show. Give it a like. And make sure you're following or subscribed, I should say, to the YouTube channel, Logan Blackman Show. And of course, since you're listening to it right now, make sure you are subscribed or following the Logan Blackman Show podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Now, there has been some stuff that has happened in the past day or two since we have last talked to each other. I guess it's a day and a half because we you last heard from me on Monday. Today is Wednesday. So now you're hearing from me again. So is that two days or a day in between? I don't know. There's been just a lot of crap that's gone on. So before we all, on Monday, let's just start off with Monday, okay? Lincoln Riley took the head coaching job at USC. Okay, Sunday afternoon, it was reported that Lincoln Riley was about ready to accept an offer to become USC's newest head coach. That was what the big news was. And that was just coming off reports that the entire day or so prior to that was that Lincoln Riley was heading into LSU. That was the big news. Lincoln Riley is on his way to be to go to Baton Rouge to become the coach of the LSU Tigers. And then he dropped the infamous line that's even funnier now than it is was back then, but was I'm not I'm just gonna nip it in the bud right now. This is not exact quote. I'm I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember what the exact quote was. But I'm just gonna stop it right here. I will not be the next head coach of the LSU Tigers. And that's hundred percent true. It is hundred percent factually true that Lincoln Riley is not going to be the head coach of the LSU Tigers. He's gonna be the head coach of the USC Trojans, and on Monday when we were talking about this, it was like, is this a move that is an upgrade for Lincoln Riley? And at the time when you first hear about it, it's like, oh, well, I, I don't really know. Is it is it a big a big upgrade for him? I mean, Oklahoma's constantly battling for a spot in the college football playoff. USC has been teetering around mediocrity for like ever since Pete Carroll pretty much left. They had that odd year with Cody Kessler, and then it's kind of just been that football purgatory. And in college football, that doesn't help you a lot because you don't have draft picks to help get you better. If you're not good, recruits won't choose to go to you, so you can't get better. It doesn't matter that you're in the bright, shining city of Los Angeles with an historic football program like USC. If you're not good at this moment in time, people do not care. Remember, SMU was one of the staples of college football in the early stages of the sport. Do you see big-time recruits going to SMU? It's in Dallas. They had Eric Dickerson, Doak Walker played there. But does anybody really go there? Does anybody hear a lot from SMU? They're a good team. But they're not a big-time program, SMU. Maybe to some people, and I apologize for my offending any SMU fans out there, but they're not a big-time program anymore. Because they got blackballed. And once you get blackballed and get taken away, get everything taken away... Who the hell is going to play for you? And especially if you're not in a big conference like SMU, or you don't have teams like Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech even, to compete with, it'll make it hard. doesn't matter if you're in Dallas. You're a fun team. But after a day or two of looking at this whole thing and going, yeah, 
Lincoln Riley not only is getting an upgrade here, Lincoln Riley dropped a freaking nuke on the University of Oklahoma or Oklahoma University, whatever the hell they're called. <laughs> they ain't competing for anything for a little bit. It feels like half their team just entered the transfer portal. Spencer Rattler officially entered the transfer portal yesterday. I know we talked about the whole thing of could he join Lincoln Riley at USC? And that was a real possibility. But then we were like, oh, they have Jackson Dart there. He's gonna he could be pretty good. Lincoln Riley's at the quarterback guru. If you're a quarterback at any if you're coming into college as a quarterback, you have to go and find Lincoln Riley. And you look at some of the quarterbacks USC has had in the 2000s. Carson Palmer. You had Matt Leinart. Two Heisman Trophy winners. Now, that was a long time ago. And since then, you've had the likes of, I don't know, a, ter- a not very good Keenan Slovis. Because Keenan Slovis was once good. We used to really like Keenan Slovis. Now he just decided not to be good anymore. John David Booty. Remember him? Now you've got Lincoln Riley. And not only do you have Lincoln Riley, you have the number one quarterback of the class of 2023, five-star from California, Malachi Nelson, at 5'10". Wait, no. Where was it? I thought I had something that said that he was he decommitted or something. Oh, that was right after the show. No, he decommitted from UC Oklahoma. And then today, at 5'10", elite QB follows Riley to USC. Class of 2023, five-star QB, former Oklahoma pledge, follows Lincoln Riley to Trojans. And this will be a lot of them. We talked about a running back that left, and then we had a receiver that left. Now we have the quarterback leaving. Lincoln Riley has so much pull. Now when you see USC, you don't see Clay Helton there. You don't see, no offense to him because I love the guy, but Ed Rogeron's there. You don't see that. You see a guy that has developed quarterbacks, that has put forth consistent winners at the college football level for a program the size of USC. Daniel Jeremiah said this on Twitter the other day. If he gets, if, if once he's there, he's already signed everything. I don't know when he's going to start officially coaching the program. He's not coaching the bowl game for USC. As we said, Bob Stoops is going to be coaching the bowl game. But man. Now, I really have no issue with USC. I know there's a lot of plebs out there that are like, oh, I don't like USC. Or back then, we didn't like USC because they won all the time. Well, screw you guys. You're the same losers that don't like Alabama because they win all the time. Screw off, okay? Alabama done nothing to Iowa or Iowa State. Stop complaining about Alabama winning all the time because your team sure as hell ain't competing with Alabama at any level. So I'm tired of seeing you losers complain about them in the playoff rankings because Alabama would smoke every single team in college football apart from one. Well, two, three, because they didn't. They barely beat Auburn and almost lost to AM. <laughs> or lost to AM, but they would also not beat Georgia or smoke Georgia. But I'm excited. This is going to be really cool. Lincoln Riley going to Oklahoma. Now, do if, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, do I like Lincoln Riley? Hell no. <laughs> I, do, I do not <laughs> like Lincoln Riley whatsoever. This is public enemy number one. And when USC and Oklahoma, whenever they meet, oh man. And I hope the first time they meet in Norman, Oklahoma, once Oklahoma, you know, picks themselves up after not only losing all their best players, but also going to the SEC and going 4-8 and eight the next year. That's after that, and the dust is set a little bit, because I don't think you can really boo when you're ass. I mean, you can, but it doesn't have the same effect. If you're good and then they're good, 
then that's awesome. Like, oh, boo, yeah, screw that guy. We're good without him. But when you're bad and he took all your best players and your co- all the coaches, there's a <laughs> it doesn't work as much because you know he's going to throttle you. But then again, if you do manage to somehow beat him, that'll make the win that much sweeter. And Lincoln Riley, speaking of sweeter, got the sweetest deal of all time. So if you're an Oklahoma fan that hates Lincoln Riley, and I sympathize with you 100%, Reading this deal, I think even the most die-hard of Oklahoma fan would say, you know what, I'd go to USC as well. There's going to be some, you know, back and forth here. Like, yeah, screw you, but I understand why you did it. Maybe that's what we're going to go with here. But $110 million contract, USC bought both of his homes in Norman for $500,000 over the asking price, buying a $6 million home for in Los Angeles for him, and an unlimited use of private jet 24-7 for his family. I don't care how loyal you are to any organization whatsoever. Everything has a price on it. Everything. So you're telling me, because there's going to be a lot of people that are like me that don't have a lot of money. I mean, we're not struggling by any means whatsoever, but you don't, personally, you don't have a lot of money. And you're going to sit there and tell me, your diehard Oklahoma fan, you would not take that money to go to USC. Hell, people would take that money to go to freaking Texas from Oklahoma. And they're going to complain about this. And I understand. I understand completely. But I hope people understand why Riley took it. And then this also goes to the whole thing of there's no loyalty in sports. And it's a business. It's the business side of thing. And Lincoln Riley showed little to no loyalty to Oklahoma by nuking them, taking all their coaches, all their players, all their recruits, and leaving at the same time, <laughs> at the exact same time. But to be fair, he never lied. Lincoln Riley leaving was not really a surprise to me. It was the fact that he went to USC instead of LSU because that's what the huge link was. Now, about LSU, this one came out of freaking nowhere. And I don't think I'm alone in saying that this thing came out of freaking nowhere. Brian Kelly going to LSU? And this isn't like, Brian Kelly? Like, I know I said it weird. I know, I know. It sounds like, why the hell is he getting a job at LSU? No, Brian Kelly is an extremely, extremely capable football coach. He's a very good football coach. He's gone to the playoff. He's been to a national championship and got slaughtered by Alabama. But I saw this on Twitter. It was or Instagram. I can't remember where exactly it was. But this is just Brian Kelly saying Notre Dame can't win a national championship game. And not only can they not win it, they can't even get to the championship game anymore with this playoff in place. Because the last time they were in the playoff, the first time, their last time, first and last, they got smoked. LSU is a dumpster fire right now. Riddled with injuries, players not playing, all your best players opted out past two years, 14 players left the national championship team for the NFL, and all of them got signed or drafted, which is ridiculous to think about. And the next year, Jamar Chase opts out, so you got no wide receivers. The next year, your quarterback gets hurt, and then Derek Stingley opts out. He gets hurt the year before, opts out again. Eli Ricks, from what a friend told me, I haven't seen this personally, said he's transferring. So there's your next best corner right after Derek Stingley. But hey, you beat AM, which is pretty cool. And Ozron got out on a high note. But this is weird. I think this is weirder. Maybe, maybe... I, just out of the whole circumstance involving it, Brian Kelly does not seem to me like an LSU-type guy. I thought he was going to be a Notre Dame lifer. 
from what it looked like anyways, diehard Irish Catholic dude. And now he's going to LSU? Huh? And he got offered a bag. I mean, I'm... He got offered a lot. 95 mil. And this came out of left field to me. Maybe I just did not see anything or surrounding this whole thing. I didn't know this was happening. <laughs> this came... When I got the update about that on my phone, I saw that. I was like, what the hell? Brian Kelly? To LSU. Like, Ed Ozron. That's what you look at. And I don't know if this is offensive or not. I know a lot of people love LSU and love Ed Ozron. Maybe not LSU, but love Ed Ozron. But Louisiana people might take this as a dig. That's what you really think of when you think of the state of Louisiana. You ever watched Waterboy? That guy in the locker room, the, 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 the assistant coach. I don't remember what his name is. That's what you think of with Louisiana. Not Midwestern Irish Catholic dudes. That, that doesn't shock. That doesn't say <laughs> LSU. But man, Oklahoma being vacant right now is not surprising. Notre Dame being the vacant school right now surprises me. So now you've got two big-time jobs filled, USC and LSU, two of the biggest programs in the country, both coming off pretty horrendous seasons. USC, I think they're either 500 or just below 500. They're playing Cal on Saturday, so we'll see if they can get above five. I, I, they're five and seven or four and seven, or four, uh, five and six or four and seven. I can't remember if they're going to be five and seven or six and six. Either way, not great. Not great at all. And now those two positions are open. So where do you go? They ain't going to be hiring any of these free agent coaches right now. No, they're going to nip one from another team. And it's going to be heartache for the people involved. And we've seen a lot of coaches move this offseason. We saw Florida hire a new coach. We saw Washington hire a new coach. Virginia Tech hire a new coach. TCU hired a new coach. Like, there's a lot of movement going on this offseason in college football. And now Oklahoma and Notre Dame. So if you had to look at the prime candidates, starting with Oklahoma, we brought him up the other day. I think the guy that will take the job or should take the job or be it should be considered for the job is Brett Venables, the defensive coordinator for Clemson. He was once at Oklahoma as a co-defense coordinator, assistant head coach, and then went to Clemson as a D coordinator. Now I think he's the highest paid D coordinator in the country or something like that, or highest paid assistant in college football or something like that. Why not make the move back to Norman? You're from the Big 12. You played at Kansas State. You coached at Kansas State, coached Oklahoma. Now they got a head coaching job available. You haven't been a head coach before. You've been assistant head coach twice at two different schools. Come on back. Go back there. Now, I know there's going to be a lot of links in regards to Oklahoma. Just every opening ever, we have talked about this a little bit on Monday, revolves around Matt Campbell. If Matt Campbell leaves, and now this is before, when I said this on Monday, I said this before the fact Notre Dame was available. Matt Campbell, because I didn't think that would be available. Notre Dame or Ohio State are the two schools Matt Campbell would leave for. Personally, do I want him to leave? As a neutral, no. I think he's doing great things at Iowa State. I think he's a nice coach. He's really turned that program around. As we say, he has 40% of their Big 12 wins, which is depressing and really cool at the same time. Because it shows how bad Iowa State has been, but also how good they've turned around with Matt Campbell there. Now, I have seen some really odd takes around Iowa State and Matt Campbell trying to keep him there, but that's neither here nor there. But... 
Matt Campbell, I don't think, would leave for Oklahoma. I really find it hard to believe. If you watched Iowa State-Oklahoma this year and think Matt Campbell is going to waddle his way down to Oklahoma, to Norman, Oklahoma, to coach a direct rival to Iowa State, a team that beat them in the college football or in the, the Big 12 championship last year, a team that has had very, very close run-ins with Iowa State over the past few years, Matt Campbell went down to Norman with Kyle Kempt and beat Oklahoma. I, I really find it hard to believe Matt Campbell would leave for Oklahoma. I do not think, knowing or not, I guess I don't know anything about Matt Campbell really, but what I think I know about Matt Campbell, I don't think he would do that to Iowa State. I don't think he'd leave for, weird to say this 10 years ago, but I don't think he'd leave for a direct rival like that. Maybe go off somewhere else and then go back to another like Big 12 school, but not like right away. That'd be bad. I do. <laughs> I, I like you think Lincoln Riley going to USC was bad. A team that never plays the two teams that never play each other. Matt Campbell going in Oklahoma would be carnage. Now I don't know who the hell Iowa State would even hire as a head coach. Like looking around, is there any famous like Brian Ferentz? He's available. You can take him. Get him some head coaching experience. Uh. What other coaches would even go to Iowa State? Would you pip one from like a, a Mountain West or MAC team? Because I know that's worked in the past. You got Matt Campbell from a MAC team. That's not a dig or anything. I'm just saying this is where usually realistic options come from. Do you pip someone in the Big 12? Who the hell knows? Maybe grab someone from the NFL, but Matt Campbell will not. I refuse to believe. I could be wrong about this, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, but I refuse to believe Matt Campbell would go to Oklahoma. I think the logical pick for Oklahoma is Brent Venables. There were some talks about Mark Stoops going to Oklahoma, and he just signed a nice new deal with Kentucky. He's got, an, like we said on Monday, he's got a very, very nice thing going on at Kentucky. I don't think he'd throw that away right now. Because there are also links to LSU. I don't think he'd go in conference like that. Bob Stoops coming back? The interim thing, sure, not full-time. Is he still got some coaching left? Hell yeah, I think he does. But I don't think it's going to be Oklahoma. If Oklahoma hires anybody, I'm willing to put money on it that it'd be Brent Venables. This dude's been an assistant coach for too long now. Make him a head coach somewhere, and that wouldn't even that'd be a really nice hire from Oklahoma. Out of all the BS that's gone around the Oklahoma University of Oklahoma or Oklahoma University, that would be a great hire. <laughs> like losing Lincoln Riley sucks ass. You're not gonna get anywhere near the level of quarterback anymore. Like if you have a dude that develops two Heisman Trophy winners and gets Jalen Hurts, who would look like a switch position guy or a Tim Tebow, or um, not Tim Tebow, Taysom Hill type player in the NFL. If you can get him over, turn him into finishing second in the Heisman to potentially being a franchise quarterback for the Eagles, you can coach quarterbacks. And now you've got Jackson Dart, who's got a lot of talent, and Malachi, what was his name? I forgot his last name already. Malachi, Malachi Nelson coming in, five-star quarterback. That, yeah, it, the building blocks are already there. So get Brent in, <laughs> and you'll be somewhat fine. It's going to be rough. You're, you're going to the SEC. You get your asses handed to you by the SEC every single time you go to the, the college wall playoff. But hey, you'd have a nice coach. It'd take a little bit, but you'd have a nice coach. And then for Notre Dame, much like Oklahoma, there's not a lot of people that I would look towards. 
But I think Oklahoma, I think you can narrow that one down a little bit more. I think you can go Brent Venables and then kind of move on from it. At least that's what my take is on it anyways. For Notre Dame, you've got three people, three big names in regards to Notre Dame. One of them's Matt Campbell that we just talked about. The other one's Cincinnati's Luke Fickle. And the other one's Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's been kind of thrown around jokingly around Twitter today because this was his dream job. And everybody's been talking about Urban Meyer leaving the Jaguars after the whole video going on with <laughs> with uh, the thing in Columbus, in Cincinnati at the, the bar. You know, that was really awesome. But this is apparently is his dream coaching job. But he says he wants to continue to build the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, I think Nick Saban said pretty much the same thing when he left for Alabama when he was with the Dolphins. He said something around the same thing. I'm going to rebuild this team. I want to build a winner here. I want to prove I can coach up here. And then left. You got a job like Notre Dame or Alabama, two of the richest, two of the biggest football teams in college football, two of the biggest universities in regards to draw national attention. Like, that's where Urban Meyer thrives. And he's always been a man of good character. So he would say all this stuff about Jacksonville and then probably have no issues going down to Notre Dame. Now, for Luke Fickle, I was listening to Pat McAfee show today. This is a big Catholic kid, which is what Notre Dame tries to get. Matt Campbell, also a Catholic dude as well. He's got six kids, much like Philip Rivers of the Catholic faith. Like... This is something that he's wanting too, but he's got a night. Like, all these coaches, I mean, Urban Meyer, you're in the NFL, but you're with Jacksonville. Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle got very nice things going for them at Cincinnati and Iowa State. But Cincinnati, or Notre Dame, remember, when Brian Kelly got the job, you remember who he came from? He came from Cincinnati. Luke Fickle. Followed the same exact path. Eventually, he'll go down to LSU. But if Matt Campbell were to leave... It would be for Notre Dame or Ohio State. Now, I know we said only Ohio State because I never thought Brian Kelly would ever leave Notre Dame. At least that's what I... I could have been wrong. <laughs> well, I was wrong because he did leave. But I never saw there was an inkling of him wanting to leave. And Matt Campbell, it doesn't seem like anything's going on with him leaving, but you never know. Is it at the point now? I don't want to say this because I hate when people say this. Has he gotten them as far as he can take them? You, the, this whole team's leaving pretty much. Does he bring in a whole nother class to get them back to where they're at right now or even better than what this team did at Iowa State? Or does he go to Notre Dame? I don't know, but again, like every big job that pops up in college football or the NFL, Matt Campbell just always seems to have his name somewhere in there. Right, wrong, or otherwise, Matt Campbell is going to get talked about with a head coaching vacancy. Because most people in the national media still view Iowa State as the garbage team from Central Iowa that gets their asses handed them by Texas, uh, Oklahoma, Texas Tech every single year. Now, they lost to two of those three teams, but they didn't get their ass kicked anymore. Iowa State, had, or Matt Campbell, I think I saw this right on Twitter, has the second most Big 12 wins since he's been the head coach at Iowa State out of, like, all the Big 12. He's got 29 Big 12 wins or something like that since he's been at Iowa State. The next, highest is Oklahoma, with like, 38 or something like that. Could be wrong, but I think that's what it said. This isn't the same garbage Iowa State that we grew up watching. Or they'd be lucky to go 5-7 and seven or lucky to make a bowl game. 
And the bowl game was always something like the Insight Bowl or the Music City Bowl or something like that. Independence Bowl, whatever bowl games there were back then. But now they're actually competing in the Big 12, and now with the new Big 12, they might be one of the favorites to win the damn thing. I mean, no offense to the other teams joining. I mean, Cincinnati's really good, but if Luke Fickle leaves, what's the situation going to be like there? Desmond Ritter's also leaving as well. You got Cincy, BYU, UCF, uh, Houston, I believe, is the other team, who's a decent team as well, but these teams ain't Oklahoma and Texas. I know they're better than most. Some of them are better than this year, but UCF's not. <laughs> UCF's pretty bad, or pretty bad. Taylor Gabriel's transferring their quarterback. Gus Malzahn will he go somewhere? Bring Gene Chizik back? I don't know. That'd be kind of funny if Gene Chizik got brought back. Again, Brian Ferentz is still available. Brian Ferentz is available. And speaking of Brian Ferentz, it was announced today that Spencer Petrus is starting the Big Ten Championship against Michigan. And it's kind of weird because I'm at the point now where I don't really care who starts anymore. I don't think either him or Padilla are that good. And Deuce Hogan, who is supposed to be like the next savior, the next Chuck Long of the University of Iowa, who was like, they got Deuce Hogan when they recruited him. It's like, oh, that's a huge get. He's sending, he's getting all these people to get come to Iowa with him. Giant win, culture guy, locker room guy. And now he's transferring. And I, I don't know if it's directly related. I feel like it has something to relate with. Uh, Kirk Ferentz before the Nebraska game with Pe- Petrus and Padilla had the flu. With Deuce Hogan likely to be the starter in case those guys didn't make it. Ferentz was like, we probably would just stay in Iowa City. That's not the best quote to say right there. It's not the best. I don't know if that's an indictment on Deuce Hogan or it's just a bad quote from Kirk Ferentz because I don't feel maybe it was tongue-in-cheek, maybe Deuce Hogan got it but was already planning on transferring anyways or just saw the fact that Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla are battling for the starting job and he can't. Now I get there's two sides to that argument, okay? I can understand that. Where it goes, well, he's got to be better than these two. He's trash. Or the other two are trash. But then it goes down like, well, if he can't beat them out, he must be pretty bad. So it goes down two lanes. But it's sad to see Deuce Hogan transfer. Because I remember there was so much hype going into him coming into Iowa. Like, they took him from Georgia. Which, hey, it, no offense to Georgia. You're probably going to win the Natty this year. They ain't great at developing quarterbacks. Like, the guys you kicked out of Georgia to keep Jake from ended up getting drafted higher and still on rosters. To my knowledge, maybe Jacob Easton isn't on a roster anymore. Jake Fromm just got picked up by the Giants, actually, today. So remember, he was supposed to take Josh Allen's job. I saw a guy on Twitter, I completely forgot about this, guy on Twitter with the blue check mark said, is there a way I can bet Jake Fromm starting ahead of Josh Allen in two years? And now Jake Fromm's on the Giants. And he hadn't barely made it above the practice squad in his time in Buffalo, which is where the Giants picked him up, actually. It was on the practice squad. But I don't know. I don't know where Deuce Hogan's going to transfer I'm nervous about Spencer Peters going in. I already said on Monday I'm not overly confident going into the Big Ten Championship game. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson is ridiculous. David Ojabo is ridiculous. Hassan Haskins is ridiculous. The only way Iowa really wins this game, and I don't, is just keep, I don't really, they they have to run the shit out of the football. I don't trust Iowa's off the line keeping up anybody, let alone Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, two first-round draft picks. 
They just got to run the shit out of the ball with Tyler Goodson. Jet sweeps with uh, Arlen Bruce, Charlie Jones, Nico Regani. Get all these guys involved. Check downs to Sam Laporta, which I know Spencer Peach is really good at doing. But even over the top, if you try to throw it over top, Daxton Hill's one of the best safeties in college football. You ain't overthrowing him. With Peter's way of overthrowing balls, it, he might run the route better than the wide receivers could. But am I surprised Peters is starting? Not really. Not, not really. Kirk Ferentz in his time at Iowa, you can look at this as a good or bad thing, has had this strange loyalty to starting quarterbacks at Iowa where he refuses to bench them unless there's something going on, like an injury or something. The only time a quarterback's gotten benched at Iowa without an injury during the season was Jake Christensen, who's the worst quarterback in Iowa history. So you kind of had your hands were tied there. You could, and he still tried his hardest to start him the next year. Him and Stanzi rotated the first like three or four games of the season. Now he tried his hardest to give Jake Christensen another shot. Is that what he's doing with Petrus? Because I do not buy the injured thing. Because if he was hurt that bad, why was he in uniform? I hate the logic behind that. Like Brian Flores said the same thing with Tua. And Jacoby Brissett gets hurt, then Tua has to go in. If he's really that hurt. Why are you bring? Why is he dressed? If he can't start, why is he dressed? That doesn't make. This isn't like a running back where you rotate them. Quarterbacks got one guy. If he's hurt, don't dress him. <laughs> if he was hurt that bad against Northwestern, he wouldn't have put the red cap on and was calling plays right after. So I don't know if I necessarily buy the injured thing or not. All I know is he's starting the Big Ten Championship game, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> he has dropped some quotes about the Big 12, which, you know, Big 12 defense thing, which is, I don't know, dry, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, Iowa and their quarterback situation. Like, Nate Stanley, statistically, is one of Iowa's best quarterbacks ever, which is a sad, sad thing. Because he was not that good. If I wanted to watch a quarterback overthrow receivers by 15 yards every single deep throw, I would watch Spencer Petras. Oh, wait. They're like direct clones of each other. Like, it's so hard to watch. And I see people on Twitter going like, oh, Iowa won, but it's not the right way. No, it's not the right way. Brian Ferentz just sucks at calling plays. We don't have any good quarterbacks. I say we. Iowa doesn't have any good quarterbacks. And they haven't. Uh, I remember a few years ago when they were battling it out between Sokol, Bethard, and Rudock. All three of those guys are better than the quarterbacks Iowa's conveyor belted through recently. I know a lot of people got butt hurt about Jake Rudock going to Michigan, which is really stupid. I never understood why people hated on that so much. Michigan liked him. They didn't play Iowa. The only thing you guys hated on him for going to Michigan was that he... Went to a Big Ten school. Didn't play Iowa. Never uh, threatened to play Iowa. Just went to a Big Ten school. He could have been like Brett Favre and says, what team plays the Packers? Oh, the Vikings. They play them twice. I'm going to go play there. He could have gone and said, you know what? I'm going to go Wisconsin. Because we know Wisconsin's great development quarterback history. So he could have easily started Wisconsin. I don't know. Tyler Goodson's going to need to get a heavy workload on Saturday. I would guess like 30 carries for Tyler Goodson or something. Run behind Tyler Linderbaum. Keep Hutchinson and Ojabo at bay. They can stop the run. It's not like they're one-dimensional can only run the pass. They can stop the run, but that lowers their <laughs> effectiveness to a certain degree on Saturday, and it also controls the clock. 
So you keep Michigan off the field because Kate McNamara, we've talked about it before, is the third best quarterback in the Big Ten, maybe second best. Him and Peyton Thorne kind of rotate for me. But he's not even that great. But I trust him a thousand times more than I trust Petrus. <laughs> and their receivers aren't that much better than Iowa's. And you can make an argument Iowa's receivers are better. Iowa's tight end's better. Clearly got a better center. I mean, Tyler Linderbaum was, rated by pro football focus, the best player in the Big Ten as a center, which is pretty damn impressive, and I enjoy that. But yeah, I, I, I'm, probably, I'm just going to keep talking about it because the game's on Wednesday, second Big Ten championship in the past, what, five years? Because I was my senior, no, freshman year of college, senior year of high school. I can't remember exactly. All the years kind of mold together for me. <laughs> I'm getting to the point where I'm just really old and don't remember anything anymore. I'm 24 years old. I, I hurt all the time, and I forget everything. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see Iowa back there. I'm not confident. I mean, I'm not very confident. Like I'm in regards to teams, anyways. I'm pretty pessimistic in regards to my sports teams. But I'm not confident with Iowa knocking off Michigan after watching what they did to Ohio State. Kind of disturbing. And speaking of Ohio State, the newest college football playoff rankings came out today. It's Tuesday. And uh, Ohio State dropped, I mean, as you would expect, they dropped five spots to number seven. The new top four in the college football playoff rankings is Alabama, Michigan, Alabama, or uh, Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincinnati. Am I surprised that Michigan jumped up to number two? Not at all. But the way you just controlled the game against Ohio State and how Alabama struggled against Auburn, great comeback, but struggled against Auburn, and Cincinnati, they're undefeated, but they're probably, if they make the playoff, they're going to stick at the number four spot. They probably ain't moving up too high, unless Alabama loses the SEC championship game. So here's a scenario I want to play out for people, because I know a lot of people will absolutely hate this, because I know how people operate. But we have a scenario where Georgia beats Alabama, which is expected by about everybody in the nation. Georgia beats Bama. I'm willing to bet, because there ain't no way Cincinnati is losing to Houston in the ACC, AAC championship game. I refuse to believe that. I know Houston's got a really nice offense, but Cincinnati ain't losing that game. If Alabama loses, they will drop one spot. They will only drop one. It is almost guaranteed that Alabama makes the college football playoff. Almost. There's a chance they don't because obviously, like Oklahoma State can win the Big 12. But if Oklahoma State doesn't win the Big 12, and Baylor does, Baylor ain't dropping, jumping up in the top four from nine. So if Okie State loses, Alabama loses, sorry folks, the top four is going to read Georgia, Michigan, Cincy, Alabama. Unless by some strange coincidence, Baylor drops or jumps up to number four. Because then you could, that, the whole situation here, If uh, let's say Alabama loses, Oklahoma State wins. You got one loss, Oklahoma State, two loss, Alabama. Who makes it? Now, if you want to just use, like, think about it, most people would go Alabama win the game. But that's not the reality in which we live in. You got to go off track record. Both of them have losses. Oklahoma State's was to Iowa State. Alabama's was to Texas A&M and Georgia. Both teams are in the top 25. Georgia is the number one team in the nation. A&M was on the road and still in the top 25. Iowa State is 7-5 on the year. And, well, I mean, you beat Oklahoma, which is cool. 
But Alabama beat Ole Miss, who's ranked higher. So who would win? Because I know two loss Alabama would piss off everybody if they made it. If two lost Bama made it over one lost Oklahoma State, the world would go mad. The world would lose their shit. But you cannot sit there and tell me. I mean, we could do a playoff. I would love to see a playoff. Like have a do it like a five team playoff, but have the four and five teams play each other, and then they had to play Georgia. I think that would be awesome. Because the most controversial thing you have with these playoffs, because do you do you really think of it like a 12-team playoff, hypothetical, or 16-team playoff? Like BYU competing for a national championship? And I'm not saying they do or don't. But do you think BYU deserves to be in the same conversation like Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, those teams? I don't really think so. I'm sorry, but their two losses this year are to Boise State at home and a really bad loss to Baylor. Like, really bad. It's not like... I know Baylor's top 10. I know, I get that. But if you did the five-team playoff, hypothetical here, in Oklahoma State and the number four to four and five play in a playoff, I would be for that. I would be 100% for that because Alabama, if you don't like them being in the top four, they deserve a better shot at being in the national championship than Notre Dame does. That's just my opinion. Notre Dame struggled against Toledo and Florida State. I'm not sitting here and listening to people say that they are better than Alabama. That like, Oklahoma State struggled with Missouri State, who's a decent FCS team this year. But Alabama didn't have these problems. Oklahoma State struggled against Tulsa for a little bit. So, like, it's just a lot of comparing and contrasting. Who's really better then you got to go, if you look at the loss part of it, that's a little stupid, at least in my regard anyways. Look at how they did in some of their wins. Look at how they did against teams they should clobber. Like Oklahoma State beat Missouri State by seven, beat Tulsa by five, beat Boise State by one, and then kind of got in a little rhythm there. And then started beating teams like beat Baylor by 10, beat Texas, came back against Texas, which is pretty cool. Beat Oklahoma, came back against Oklahoma. Like, your first four, three games were not not ideal. Now, I know it's a full season. It's a full season to look at here. But who would be the best team in there? Because the people that are saying it shouldn't be Alabama are not saying it because they think Oklahoma State's better. They're saying it because they just don't want Alabama in. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that say Oklahoma State's better than Alabama. There might be. There might be. But I, I don't know if I really believe that. <laughs> So, yeah, if Alabama loses, they're in. If Oklahoma State loses, that's guaranteed. If Bama loses and Okie State loses, Alabama's guaranteed to make it. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And if Cincinnati loses and Alabama loses and Oklahoma State wins, guess what? Alabama's guaranteed to make it. Two loss to Alabama, I'm sorry, would probably make it over one loss Cincinnati. That would piss a lot of people off. I'm pretty sure that's what would what would happen. Because a lot of people are thinking of this like the Cinderella story type thing. When it's really, the College Well Playoff Committee is run by Gary Barta. We're not really dealing with the smartest people here. We said that on Monday. I'm going to keep saying it's Gary Barta's fun to make fun of. But that, that's what would happen. At least that's what I think would happen. I, I could be completely wrong. And the College Well Playoff could be this really cool thing 
that we all love and that everybody agrees with all the time, but that's not how it's going to be. Alabama will make it. And I keep repeating myself because I don't know where to end this stupid thing because I keep staring at the rankings and not know where to end it. Do I have anything in my 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 phone that could save me? No, I'm not even looking at my phone. I'm looking at my my thing, the laptop. But when we're dealing with the college football playoff, and we kind of talked about this with Iowa, this is something that I should have talked about on Monday but forgot to talk about. I don't even remember what we really all talked about on Monday. I think it was like more of a recap show than anything. But Michigan, we talked about the two players that they have, their two best players, David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson. Notably, the latter is the one I want to focus on here. For the entire season, it has been Kayvon Thibodeau's going number one. Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be the first overall pick. Because the dude is just too athletic not to be the first overall pick. He can play outside linebacker. He can play on the D-line. He can play as a nose tackle. No, not as a nose tackle. But he can play as a D-end in a 4-3, outside linebacker in a 3-4. Hell, he could probably cover people in the secondary. But you know what? After watching Michigan-Ohio State, and I'd seen some Michigan football this year. I'm not going to say I sat and watched a shit ton of Michigan football this year. And it's kind of getting talked about. It's kind of circulating on social media a little bit. Aiden Hutchinson probably should be the number one player in the draft. He probably should be. If we're being honest, he probably should be the number one overall player in the draft. It's not saying Thibodeau is doing anything wrong. It's Hutchinson's just been playing out of his gosh darn mind. Like Aiden Hutchinson bullied a potential first-round draft pick in Nicholas Petit Ferrer. He was playing so bad, they benched the right tackle, moved Petit Ferrer back to right tackle, and put Thayer Munford at left tackle, who's playing guard. And Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks against Michigan. He's third in the nation in sacks right now at 13. And he had 15 quarterback pressures. He blew up linemen against Ohio State. And he's been playing awesome all year. We had him, I believe, going, was it second in the last mock draft we did? Or the first mock draft? I guess we've only done one. I can't, I know we had him going to Houston, right? Hold on. I don't remember what my mock draft looked like. I apologize. I don't really look at these too often. I ended up going third. He was going third because at that time, it was more of the Eagles looking at possibilities of moving on from quarterback. It wasn't my opinion on it. It's what I thought based on what the Eagles had done in the offseason about Malik Willis going there. We have another one coming up uh, probably late December, early January, I would imagine. Another mock draft for me. It's December right now, so that's kind of trill. But dude's a baller. Dude's a freaking menace out there on the football field. And there's got to be some real conversations that go, this dude's too good not to go number one, especially if the Lions have the first overall pick. Now, if the Texans have it, which is going to be very hard for the Texans to do, because I don't know if the Lions win a single game all year because the Lions are pretty tragic. But if you look at the rest of their schedule, you got the Vikings, Broncos, Cardinals, Falcons, Seahawks, and Packers. There are some winnable games this year for the Lions. Now, I thought they'd beat the Bears on Thanksgiving. Now, in my preseason predictions, I had them beating the Bears. And I think I had them beating the Vikings as well. So the Vikings have, what did it say on Sunday? They have led by seven plus points in 10 of their 11 games this season, and they are five and six, which is not ideal. They could win, they could win that game. Maybe. I mean, I'm going to give hypothetical. I don't think they will, but they could. They could. 
They ain't beating the Cardinals. They could beat the Broncos because I don't know if the Broncos want to be good or bad. You can never really tell with Denver. Falcons, they could beat them if they can at least somewhat stop the pass game, which will be pretty hard. But if you could stop Cordero Patterson, you'll be pretty fine with Atlanta. Their defense reeks. Seattle, I t- they're just bad. I don't know what to say about Seattle. And they ain't beating the Packers. I mean, Aaron Rodgers did the whole thing with the Bears game saying he owns them. Well, what does he do to the Lions? Good Lord. It seems like he always has his best games against the Detroit Lions. Now, he might not play in that last game of the year, but even if they win just that game, if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play and they play Jordan Love, they ain't getting out of the number one overall pick because <laughs> the Texans already have two wins. And the Texans, with Tyrod Taylor, have a good chance of winning some games this year. And Aiden Hutchinson is from Michigan. He went to Michigan. The Lions play in Michigan. Lions need a lot of help on defense. I think it's a perfect fit. Just saying. The Texans have some needs as well. They'll go Thibodeau, third or second overall. And if we're looking at the draft order right now, how it stands, I would fully expect, as we sit here right now, to have Aiden Hutchinson go one and Tibbs go two, and then we have the Jaguars at three. You'd have to either expect Evan Neal, the off-to-tackle from Alabama, or Kyle Hamilton, the safety from from Notre Dame. But with Trevor Lawrence there and not playing like you know the greatest of all time you should fully expect the Jaguars to take a tackle regardless if it's Evan Neal or not I know Kyle Hamilton is an insane safety who can do everything for you and has every right to be in consideration for that third overall pick probably won't be up there because that's just how safeties work in the NFL when you look at these draft picks there are safeties that could be considered the best player in the draft they won't get taken until later in the draft which is weird like last year we had some really good safeties last year. Javon Holland, uh, Trayvon Morig, to name a few. Tyson Campbell, I get, did they move him to safety? I know they were talking about moving him to safety. But they had some good safeties in last year's draft. This year, you got some good safeties as well. Kyle Hamilton, Daxton Hill, Jordan, ba- Jordan Battle, Brandon Joseph, Jalen Catalan from Arkansas, Jaquan Brisker, who's a freaking beast from Penn State. But they probably won't get drafted. Kyle Hamilton's guaranteed to go first round. Because he's just a freaking unicorn. The other ones, it'd be a reach. Man, not a reach, but it'd be it'd be odd to see them go in the first round. So you look at Evan Neal going there. The Jag- the Jets, I mean, they have, we just talked about this with the Bills game. The first pick they ever had this season from a, cor- a person in the secondary was against the Bills. Uh, Robert Sala is a defensive guy. Would be pretty crazy not to go with Derek Stingley. I know he hasn't played in two years. And that's the scary part. Derek Stingley has not really touched a football field in two years. And now we're talking about him being the fourth overall pick in the draft. That's a little scary. And then we got fifth overall. You got Ikem Akonwu. And this is just me blaring out names right now. Ikem Akonwu is a freaking maniac. This dude is a mauler. You put him at tackle or guard, can play both. But coincidentally, the Jets have needed both. They drafted Elijah Vera Tucker last year as a guard-tackle hybrid. You do the same thing this year. You got Mekhi Becton at left tackle. He'll be back next year. Push this guy to either left ta- or right tackle or guard wherever, and you will have a really, really good interior or out here, outerior, exterior offensive lineman. But that's what you're looking at if you're going to the top five, if we're talking about it right now. Now, again, you have some mystery in there. I think the Texans and the Lions, I think that stays. But the Jaguars pick some mystery. Because you could even throw at Kim Akonwu. And that pick as well. And the Jets, you go Linderbaum, 
center from Iowa. He'd be a, a consideration for there as well. Maybe they go Kyle Hamilton. They need some help on the edge. They got both their leading edge rushers get hurt before the season started. So maybe you're looking at George Kalaftis, Carl Aftis from Purdue, or DeMarvin Leal. Maybe they go completely off the board and get a linebacker to partner C.J. Mosley, get N'Kobe Dean, or Devin Lloyd. Maybe they go even further off the board and get Andrew Booth from Clemson. Like, just go completely rogue and go, you know what, we're going to take a corner, not the one you're thinking of. Now, Andrew Booth has played. You could argue Andrew Booth's a better tackler. So maybe that wouldn't be that insane of a pick, especially since Derek Stanley, again, has not played a lot of football recently. But that's what we're looking at. And I don't think that's too insane to think about. Because Aiden Hutchinson has put himself firmly, not only in the number one pick conversation, but possibly in the Heisman conversation as well. We talked about this a tad bit on Monday. Who are you giving the Heisman Trophy to right now? Because a couple weeks ago, I was giving it to Kenneth Walker, and then the Ohio State game happened. So who the hell are we giving this Heisman Trophy to? Bryce Young... I think you could say has had the best statistics this year. He had a very nice game late against Auburn. Didn't start the game well at all, but later into the game, he played a lot better. C.J. Stroud has the best receivers in college football at his disposal, so maybe people don't want to vote him for that. Dark Horse, Matt Corral, or Kenny Pickett? I mean, those guys are really good guys. Will Anderson from Alabama? Dude leads the nation in sacks, and he'll be available in next year's draft. He has 14 and a half sacks this season. Nicobe Dean? Jordan Davis, Aiden Hutchinson. Is there anybody really that you could go, this is the Heisman Trophy winner? Because I feel like most years around this time, you can go, that's the Heisman Trophy winner. Like we had Joe Burrow, we had Kyler Murray, we had Baker, Lamar. Like we During these times, we all knew who was winning the Heisman Trophy. You knew who it was. They were dominant. They were the guaranteed best player in college football. This year... I would love it to go to a defender. I would absolutely love that this would go to a defender. There's a lot of good deserve. There's a lot of deserving defenders this year. But this year, it's like the MVP in the NFL. There hasn't really been dominating players this year. That's why we gave it to Jonathan Taylor on whenever it was, when he thrashed the Bills for five touchdowns. And that's just recency bias, but I firmly believe that. Jonathan Taylor is ridiculous. And you look at the quarterbacks, because usually these awards now have turned into quarterback awards to some running backs. and doesn't really get talked about outside of those two positions. But you look at the quarterbacks available. Is Josh Allen winning it? Probably not. Brady? Probably not. You have candidates. Rodgers? Maybe. But I think the MVP's got to be Jonathan Taylor. And if I went to a Heisman candidate at this point in time, like if I'm being what I think it will be versus what I would like to happen, I think it'll probably be Bryce Young. And I, you've listened to the show for a year. You know we love ourselves and Bryce Young. We were hyping Bryce Young up before, right when he got to Alabama. You can listen to old shows for that. Because that was one of the things we talked about during COVID was the fact that maybe he's, Playing over Mac Jones, but then we had the fact of Mac Jones not losing a starting job. Didn't do anything to lose the job. And then won a national championship. He got drafted 15th overall and is the best center or best quarterback out of the rookie class right now. And as an 8 and 4 Patriots team, that has not had a bye. But an 8 4 Patriots team nonetheless. They're taking on the Bills on Monday Night Football. So that's going to be a little terrifying, but whew, we will see about that. 
but I, my gut says Bryce Young. I would love it to go to like Willie Anderson from Alabama. I think that'd be really cool. Kyle Hamilton, I, I think he's been hurt though, so I, I shouldn't say Kyle. I'm not 100% in saying that, so don't quote me on that. But Aiden Hutchinson, number one overall player in the draft, Heisman Trophy winner, would be pretty freaking sweet. I think at this point in time, it has to be pretty much unanimous that he's the number one pick. And this is off, I mean, recency bias, of course, but Tibbs has had a dominant performance like that this year, at least to my knowledge. Now, Oregon's not on at all the time here in the Midwest. Or if they're on, they're at 9.30, so not a lot of people are watching it. It's, it's, I'll tell you this, it is a trek to watch Oregon football here in Iowa. <laughs> it is a chore to do that. But man, I, I think Hutchinson's got it. I think he should be. I think it should be him because none of the quarterbacks. This draft class of quarterbacks is nothing like it's not atrocious, but it's definitely not one of the best ever. Like you look back a few years to the EJ Manuel draft. EJ Manuel is the first quarterback taken in the first round. I think it was 2013. He was taken 16th by the Buffalo Bills. And I'll never forget where I was when that happened because when the Bills drafted the court, we were at. This is when the draft. I mean, it's big. I mean, the NFL draft's massive, but didn't watch it as religious. We were at an Iowa Barnstormers game. We were following on the ESPN. This is when ESPN was orange and white on, like, your phones anyways. It was never orange and white logo, but on their website, on your, like, little flip phones, it was orange and white, and it was damn near impossible to flip through to find things. But EJ Manuel was the first quarterback drafted. Geno Smith was drafted in the second round. I remember seeing mock drafts before that about Geno Smith going first overall or second overall in those. And he didn't. Now, he had a little bit of a, you know, a lot of people didn't like him. Now, the 2013 draft is not one of the more famous drafts of all time. He had some pretty good players come out of that draft class, but nothing that's like, when you think of a draft class, this is what I should have probably let off with. When you think of a draft class, you think of the quarterbacks, usually. For the people that don't follow the NFL draft, when you look at the NFL draft, your main focus goes to where are the quarterbacks going? Because it's the glory position. Everybody wants, when you're a kid, everybody wants to be a quarterback. Everybody, when you're older, wants to talk about a quarterback or still wants to be a quarterback. So when you have a draft that does not have a very wide variety of good quarterbacks that get drafted early, it's very hard to follow. Like EJ Manuel, 16th overall. Then Gene, here's the order of quarterbacks that went. Let's, this is how good the draft class was in 2013 for quarterbacks. Okay, EJ went 16th to Buffalo. Geno Smith was drafted 39th by the Jets in the second round. Then you had two quarterbacks drafted in the first two rounds. Three in the first two days of the draft. That is unheard of. That is unheard of. We had three quarterbacks drafted in between like three or four picks in the last pick of the second round and the first two picks of the third round this year. So we had Kyle Trask, Kellerman, Davis Mills all drafted with like four or five picks of each other. And there were three picks in the first two days of the draft in total. And that third quarterback was Mike Glennon. And I remember, I don't know if you want me to out him for this, but my dad did want Mike Glennon to a certain extent because Jim Kelly really liked him. And Mike Glennon, remember how good he was, or at least supposed to be coming out of NC State, this tall, lengthy quarterback, went to the Bucks, played pretty well, and then, uh, you know, famously signed the, <laughs> the deal with the Bears. And then obviously that led to Trubisky drafted, and that's where we're at right now. But then other quarterbacks, it just keeps getting worse. Ryan Nassib was another guy that me and my dad wanted because Ryan Nassib, at the time, he well, at the time, he he still did this now. He came from Syracuse, 
For those of you who don't know, the Bills coach at this time was Doug Marone and Ryan Nassib being a Syracuse guy, which is the team that Doug Marone just left to become the coach of the Buffalo Bills. That was a logical thought process for most Bills fans. It wasn't like, oh yeah, get Ryan Nassib in the first round. There was some talks about that, but it wasn't like everybody was clamoring for Ryan Nassib and that's it in the first round of the draft of 2013. It was just Ryan Nassib played under Doug McDermott or Doug McDermott. Doug Marone, <laughs> I should combine Doug Marone and Sean McDermott and then it turned into a basketball player named Doug Marone. Or, gee, good Lord. Regardless, Ryan Nassib did not turn out to be really anything in the NFL. He got drafted by the Giants. And then we got Tyler Wilson, you know, famous of the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Week, having like a 2.8 GPA. Like that Scholar Athlete, that's who we're going to show. And it was some like physical education major or something like that. And then we got Landry Jones. The guy that replaced Sam Bradford had a very nice career at Oklahoma. Very, very nice career at Oklahoma, but didn't really turn to anything. Played a little bit with the Steelers. Tyler Wilson, I don't remember him doing anything in the NFL. Like, even playing. I could be completely wrong about him doing that, but I at least remember somewhat of Landry Jones playing. Then we had Brad Sorensen, seventh-round draft pick, the next quarterback taken. Uh, brother of Chiefs outcast, pretty much. Whatever his, Daniel Sorensen, pleb Daniel Sorensen. Then you have Zach Dysert from Miami of Ohio. BJ Daniels was actually pretty fun at USF. He was a pretty fun quarterback. And then Sean Renfrey from Duke was picked 249. 249. <laughs> that is an insane, insane draft class. I forgot read Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley. Who I love Matt Barkley. And if he came out the year prior, probably would have been a first-round draft pick. Probably would have been. But Matt Barkley, nice guy. Really nice guy. He was supposed to be better than Matt Liner. Like, this was the dude. But you look at his numbers from his junior year to senior year, 39 touchdowns to 36, which isn't a huge drop-off, but 7 interceptions to 15. Completion percentage went down as well. His yards went down. His rushing numbers went down. So he was supposed to be... I remember when he committed to USC or when he first started at USC. Because my friend at the time, he told me that he was supposed to be better than Matt Liner. At least that was the 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 hype around Matt Barkley when he first got to USC. Like, he was supposed to be the dude. And he was the dude. Matt Barkley was really good at USC. And then his junior year happened, and then he battled some injuries the next year, and then dropped to the fourth round, and then was just basically a career backup, and his most notable starts in the NFL are the Chicago Bears. But you look at that and go, that's what you think of with an NFL draft. And 2013 was bad, and people have somewhat compared this draft class to a certain extent to the 2013 draft class because of the fact people don't think quarterbacks are going to go very early. Now, just because the quarterbacks don't go number one, I don't think that'll mean they won't go early. Now, is there a lot of teams in the top 10 at this point in time that really need quarterbacks? Yeah, two, maybe three. And this is just maybes. They don't even necessarily, they need to draft a quarterback. Like usually when you have a draft, now we could see a team trade up, but I really doubt it. When you have defensive players like Hutchinson and Thibodeau available, I don't think teams will trade back, especially when they have needs at the position. But, like, the Lions, they need a quarterback, sure. I mean, Goff, I think Goff gets way too much hate. I don't think he's a great quarterback by any stretch of the imagination. I have said before that he can make a lot of really, really nice throws. I don't know if he has it all upstairs mentally, though. I don't think he's a bad quarterback by any stretch. I think he gets way too much hate. We said that about a Trubisky, too. And people now are starting to back off the Trubisky hate a little bit. Goff is on a terrible team. So with Goff not playing good, I don't think it should be a surprise that he's not playing good because he's on the worst team in the NFL. Uh, the Texans, 
yeah, they could use a quarterback as well. Deshaun Watson's not going to be there next year. I don't care where he goes. He's not going to be there. They could use a quarterback, definitely. Would they draft one this early? Probably not, because these two teams both have needs on defenses, because both their defenses suck ass. And then you got the last team, the Panthers. And I think if we're being honest here, they're at the 10th pick. Out of the top 10 teams, they're the most... I don't want to say nailed on because I don't think there's a 100% guarantee that they'll get drafted quarterback. They are by far the most likely team to draft quarterback out of the top 10. By far. Because the Lions and the Texans, yeah, they could use a quarterback, but they have needs on defense. The Panthers need a quarterback. They drafted all defense like the past few years. One draft, they used all seven picks on defense. First round, they drafted J.C. Horn last year or this past year. They could use a tackle. And they could use a quarterback. Sam Darnold ain't it. They ain't going with Cam Newton going into next year. I refuse to believe that. They got good wide receivers, a really talented running back when healthy. You're either going tackle or quarterback for the Panthers. And out of the teams that have other needs on their roster, the Panthers are the most likely to get a quarterback if we're looking at the first ones. Falcons, I could see them in the mix for a quarterback as well because I think Arthur Smith, the one is guy. Matt, Matt Ryan is on his last year. So he's signed a two-year deal in the offseason. He's going to go through a year this year. And then the next year, he'll be on his last year. So you want a quarterback in a perfect world. You'd want a quarterback to come in while that established veteran is on his last year of the deal rather than just send him in without that veteran presence there. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it's not. And when you got a guy like Matt Ryan who's been to a Super Bowl, won an MVP, I would love to keep a guy around like that. So I wouldn't wait till afterwards. Maybe a second round pick for the Falcons because they have a lot of other needs on their team. Unlike the Panthers who really just have O-line and quarterback, Falcons got quarterback, D-line, edge rusher, one other corner partner, A.J. Terrell, linebacker, O-line, running back. Like They could do a lot of things with that pick. A lot of things. I love Kyle Pitts, and I love that they picked him because I think he's super awesome. He's proven to be super awesome. But a lot of Falcons fans, and I went to William Penn, and this is kind of odd to say this, <coughs> but I had a few friends at William Penn they were not only Falcons fans, but were from Atlanta. I know it doesn't really make a lot of sense to going from Atlanta to Oskaloosa, Iowa, but they exist. They're really good guys. Really good guys. So I, I will say nothing bad about them. But even on Twitter, so I see a lot of things about the Falcons on Twitter because of them. And a lot of them now are kind of like, man, you had a lot of other needs on your roster than tight end. And I know Kyle Pitts can do a lot of things for your roster, but you had a lot of other needs on your team. And Kyle Pitts will be a baller going forward, but they have a shit ton of needs. <laughs> then you got the Saints. They could be in a mix for one. The Eagles, I guess, could be in a mix for one. I doubt it now, but I they could be. The Broncos and Steelers, I think those are two very logical spots on the Watch football team. If we have to put a guarantee on a team drafting quarterback in the first round, it's Washington. There's 0% chance. Well, no, there's always a chance. A 1% chance they stick with the quarterback room they got now going into next season. I don't want to turn into... Uh, Mel Kuyper in the 1993 draft when he said that all you can't when you have a Trent Dilfer on the board and all you have is Jim Harbaugh give me a break I'm not going to do that because I like Taylor Heineke but he ain't a franchise guy he ain't a franchise guy you got quarterbacks in this draft class that could be there's three to four guys I think could be drafted in the first round I think those four guys we'll talk about the quarterback rankings in a little bit but the Washington football team, there's a 99% chance they come out of the first round with a quarterback. I don't care if they're picking 19th like they are right now, picking in the top 10, or picking 30th. They're drafting a quarterback in the first round. Because you look at their defense, you look at some of the things they have on offense, 
they're not struggling a lot of spots. They need a quarterback. Need one. The Broncos, I think they're more likely to go after a veteran, but that, I could be wrong about that. George Payton's done his due diligence on scouting quarterbacks this year. The Steelers, I refuse to believe that they will go into the season next year because Big Ben's a free agent, should retire, that they go into a season with Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. I refuse to believe that's what's going to happen. And looking at the rest of the first round, I think that's about it with quarterbacks. I So you've got, I think teams that are, if you're looking at like 50% chance to draft a quarterback, teams that are above 50% chance to draft one. This could be like 51 or 50.1% chance. But I think the Panthers... I think the Steelers, I think the Broncos, and I think Washington. I think those are your four most likely teams. We're looking at teams that could draft one, but I don't necessarily think they will in the first round. Lions, Texans, Falcons, possibly Saints. The Falcons, Texans, Lions, I think are the three that you look at as more of dark horse teams to draft a quarterback in the first round. But Broncos, Steelers, Washington, and Carolina, I think are your main culprits when we're looking at quarterbacks in this draft. And I would lean more towards Washington Steelers and Panthers than the Broncos because, again, I think the Broncos look at a veteran guy. Just what I think right now. But for the draft, they will have to pick out of these guys. Okay? Here is your Week 13 quarterback prospect ranking list for the draft expert, again, with quotation marks around it. This is the last one of the regular season. Sad times because everybody is in conference championship time. And then the next week, we got Army-Navy game. And then the next week, bowl game starts. Which is ridiculous to think of how fast this year has gone. Because I feel like 2020 dragged a lot. 2021 went super speed. I feel like just yesterday, we were talking about the 2021 NFL draft. Now we're already talking about 2022. Now, in fairness, we have talked about the 2022 NFL draft extensively on the Logan Blackman Show. But this is the last one for the regular season. Then we're going to the postseason play. And there's only a few quarterbacks on here that play this weekend. Because either A, they didn't make a conference championship game, or B, that's pretty much it. <laughs> they just didn't make a conference championship game. Because everybody on this list, to my know, Malik Willis isn't in a conference, but everybody on this list did not make a conference championship game, either A, because they weren't good enough, or B, because they're not in a conference. But starting off at number one, I think right now, with how well the top two guys, well, I'm not going to BS around this, the top two guys are Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett. I don't think that they're I, – I, it's hard because you've heard me preach about Malik Willis this entire season. You've heard me preach about it, but I think at this point in time, when Malik Willis and Liberty's drop off and playing, we'll get to Malik Willis in a little bit. It's not mainly bashing Malik Willis or how bad he's been, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it's between Corral and Pickett for number one. It's a really weird – if you're just looking at it face value, if you look face value and go – Stats. Stats only. You look at this and go, Kenny Pickett has 40 touchdowns. Corral has 20. And even if you include rushing touchdowns, Pickett has 44. Corral has 31. Like, what? If you can do combined yards, Kenny Pickett's got more total yards. Corral doesn't have that many yards. And I get that 100%. Because if you look at it like that, sure, it's going to look very, very one-sided for Kenny Pickett. But where I will argue, and I have Matt Corral at number one still, and I think it's a little unfair, but there's a really good shot Kenny Pickett's number one next week because of the fact Matt Corral is not in a conference championship game, Kenny Pickett is. If Kenny Pickett plays really, really well in the conference championship game, 
I think it'll be hard to keep him out of the number one spot. And it's not really going to be because Matt Corral didn't do anything or sucked that week. He didn't play. So it's a little unfair to him. But if Kenny Pickett balls out, you can't really deny him being number one. But Corral, where you can give Kenny Pickett the stats, Corral has played in a tougher schedule by quite a bit. No offense to Pitt in the ACC. I like Pitt quite a bit. I like Kenny Pickett a lot. Corral's played a tougher schedule. He led Pitt or Ole Miss to a 10-win season, their first 10-win season, and we're talking about regular season. Because they've had 10-win season before, but it come in the postseason as well, including winning the bowl game. They're 10-2, ranked in the top 10. This team was garbage like two or three years ago. And Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin have gotten them to this point. And Corral has the only quarterback in the FCS to have over 3,300 passing yards, over 500 rushing yards, and 30-plus total touchdowns in the toughest conference in college football. And Matt Corral, this season, has been playing hurt all year, and his leadership ability this year has gone up a whole lot more than last year. And it's not, well, I shouldn't say a whole lot more, because it's not like Matt Corral was not a great leader last year, a good leader by any stretch, or that he was a selfish prick the entire time. No. I just think if you just watched him play and saw what he does for his team, you would go, yeah, that's a guy that you'd want to play for. And I would argue that he has a stronger arm than Kenny Pickett, but it's nothing against Kenny Pickett. I mean, look at what Kenny Pickett's done. We already said the stats that he's had more insane amount of passing touchdowns, insane amount of yards. He broke Dan Marino's passing touchdown record, which stirred for 40 years, and ironically, he got 40 touchdowns in a season. Uh, he's the only, the first and only quarterback in ACC history with 4,000-plus passing yards, 40-plus passing touchdowns through 12 games. The significance is the 12 games, because... Jameis Winston and Deshaun Watson have also done those numbers, but through a full season. That's two to three more extra games for those guys. And the ACC has been around since 1953, and Kenny Pickett's the first one to ever do it. That's insane. Breaking Dan Marino's record is insane. That's a 30, 40-year-old record. 38, 40-year-old record. Like, Kenny Pickett has been a baller this year. He's very, not very, but he's a decently mobile quarterback. He ain't no statue by any stretch of the imagination. Like some quarterbacks on this list that we'll get to in a little bit. But this dude's just played really well. No other ways about around it. And this year it was kind of nice to see other teams, the ACC, play really well other than Clemson. And Pickett, if you look at his career numbers, combined, looking at all of his five seasons at Pitt, or five, four, what is it, five or six? It's a, a lot of seasons at Pitt. He has 39 passing touchdowns. If you have don't have short-term memory, you would remember I said he has 40 this year. That is ridiculous. Kenny Pickett deserves all the recognition he gets, and this dude has moved up tremendously in these rankings and now sits at number two with a real possibility to be number one. Now, I did learn this today. I think this is a very interesting factoid for you. We'll bring this up when we do the mock draft thing. With the current draft order as we stand right now, with the quarterbacks that we said, the teams that need quarterbacks, the draft order goes Panthers at 10, Steelers 16, Broncos 17, Washington 19. I found this out today. Kenny Pickett was originally committed to Temple with Matt Rule. And then Matt Rule left and went to Baylor. Kenny Pickett went to Pitt. Matt Rule is currently, I mean, I guess we should have brought him up for one of the coaching spots as well. Maybe he goes to Oklahoma. Who knows? Or or Notre Dame. Maybe he goes to one of those spots and Joe Brady becomes the head coach. 
But he's the coach of the Panthers right now. If he has a picket quarterback, I would not be surprised if it was Kenny Pickett. Much like uh, Kyler Murray before with Cliff Kingsbury, which you, he got linked with Oklahoma, which dude's got the one of the best records in the NFL. I think the dude's fine in the NFL, which is weird. Never thought I would say that in 100 years. Never once thought I would say that about Cliff Kingsbury, but I'm pretty sure he's fine in the NFL right now. I think Kenny Pickett, if the draft happened right now, would go before Matt Corral. But I still would say Matt Corral is number one, even though I do think Kenny Pickett would go first. Number three is Malik Willis, and we kind of talked about this a little bit ago. Willis's stock's kind of falling a little bit, and I don't think it's all his doing. It's definitely a mix of what he's doing because I think he's trying to do too much, which is something that can get quarterbacks in trouble. Coaches always say, do the simple things. Don't try to force anything. Don't put the ball in harm's way. And he's done that quite a bit. Willis is the most mobile quarterback in this draft class, easily. And he's been sacked 50 times. He's been sacked 21 times in the past three games alone. Those are games against Ole Miss, Louisiana, and Army. He's been sacked 21 times. Almost half the games that he's, almost half of his sacks have come in the last three games. I'm pretty sure he got sacked nine times against Ole Miss with Sam Williams just feasting on Liberty's off the line. Like, Malik Willis is doing way too much and trying to do too much to where the point it's hurting him and he's getting hit a lot more than what he was originally. Liberty's O-line's really not doing him any favors, but, man, for people that are just not watching, like, it's hard to watch sometimes. It's hard to watch. And he did not play well on Saturday, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He did not play well. And he hasn't really played well in the past three weeks. Against, uh, against Ole Miss, they had multiple chances to win the game, or at least get within scoring distance of winning the game. Like if you look at some of the picks he threw, two of them were in the red zone or near the red zone. You you get those, you're possibly talking about a different outcome. And Malik Willis is the number one quarterback in the draft because he beat Ole Miss. But we've had these past three weeks where he's played bad, Liberty's played bad, and got blown out in all of these games. All these games have been decided by double digits. That's not great. And he's at three, and I think like if we're looking at the quarterback, I don't think he'll drop from three. Because I think with Willis, he does so much for you that I think if you gave him the right atmosphere, I think you'd develop into an insane quarterback at the next level. I think Carson Strong, who's at number four, if you're just looking at what they do as an individual player, I don't think you can say Carson Strong is at Malik Willis's level, but I think he is pretty comfortable sitting at four. I think Carson Strong, if we're just talking about uh, – Facil- not facilitators, I, I guess, kind of. Reci- precision passing. Like He can hit a receiver at any level in the football field. Carson Strong's your dude. Carson Strong is your guy. I don't think... Now, I do say that Malik Willis has a stronger arm. I withhold that. I say that still. But I don't think there's a better thrower of the deep ball than Carson Strong. And I know that sounds stupid because one has a stronger arm and the other one throws a better deep ball. I don't think that Carson Strong has missed any ball, or at least it feels like anyways. I know he probably has. But it doesn't feel like he's missed a single pass beyond 20 yards. Like, that dude throws every single pass in stride. I do not like fade routes in the corner of the end zones at all. If you do that with Carson Strong, Romeo Dubs, and Cole Turner at Nevada, it's guaranteed touchdown. Like, Carson Strong last year, I don't remember what game it was exactly, but he threw a pass to Cole Turner on the left side of the end zone, 
jump ball, touchdown. They went for two. They ran the exact same thing again. Got it again. Like, it's easy money, easy pickings for Carson Strong. There's not a better quarterback with the arm power, with the touch, with the accuracy that he has. He, with this game against Colorado State, which is a fairly easy game, as pretty much expected. And Colorado State's 3-9 and nine on the season. Carson Strong, th- four touchdown passes. Now, he did throw the first game under 300 yards since, I think, October 2nd, which is not ideal. And I know he's not the most mobile quarterback this year. He's got negative 208 yards rushing with no touchdowns this year. But 4,100 yards, almost 4,200 yards, 36 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. That's pretty good. I'll take the mobility because I don't, I don't think his rushing numbers really indicate how he's, he's not a statue. Like JT Daniels, you ever watched him play? I, I mean, no, it wasn't a lot this year, even though I remember you're supposed to be number one pick in the draft. Carson Strong's not that immobile. <laughs> he's not, he's not mobile, but he's not that immobile. Now, number five, I flip back and forth between five and six a lot. It's Desmond Ritter still at number five, and this was a game against ECU, East Carolina. For those of you who are unaware of the fact that there's ECU, they this was not a game where it was like like the Tulsa or the Navy game or the Tulane game where there were close points in the game. It got closer in the second half, but it was 21-3 to at halftime. They kind of took the foot off the gas later in the game. This wasn't his most efficient game ever, but it was, weirdly enough, his sec- only his second game where he had over 300 yards passing, which I thought was weird. We talked about that when he had over 300 yards against USF, but it just feels weird, doesn't it? And I don't know. I don't know. But it was also his first game this season. He had two interceptions in the game. That's not ideal. He only had 17 yards rushing, which is a low since October October 23rd against that Navy team that we talked about earlier. So I really had the conversations about moving him down a spot. But then I looked at it, I was like, it's not not really enough to say, yeah, we're moving him down. Because I still think Desmond Ritter is a really good quarterback. And if they go to the college football playoff and compete, first they got to get past Houston, of course, but Ritter's had himself a very nice season. I like the fact that he has decided not to run as much or there hasn't been as many designed rushes for him this year because one of the questions going into the season about Desmond Ritter, and we talked about this preseason, was that his consistencies as a passer. If you look at his previous years at Cincinnati, they were up and down. Like you had a very nice year and then kind of dipped down in completion percentage-wise. And it's not an overarching theme of accuracy, but it is a nice metric you can use to kind of pinpoint. It's not the exact science behind accuracy, but it could tell you something about it because it doesn't it, like, calculate drops, uh, how accurate the ball actually was, stuff like that, batted passes. But 62 to 55 to 66. And then he also he had 150, yard, 150 carries, 144 carries, and then now it's 93 carries. He had 98 carries last year, which I guess, but the touchdowns are down, yards per carry is down. Like, he was rushing a lot last year. Had a lot of really big carries. I know there was not as... the When I'm talking about rushes, he had a lot of designed runs last year. I know his carries are about the same, but he had a lot of designed rushes last year. This one's more of a... Uh, what do you call it? Experimenting. But he has a career high in passes attempted this year, 338. And his completion percentage is 66%. He's passed for over 3,000 yards for the first time in his career. First time since his freshman year, he's passed for over 20 touchdowns. Eight interceptions. This isn't, uh, I, you know, ideal, but it's not terrible. But that's what he needed to do this year. People wanted to see him as a passer, and that's what they got this year. And he has played very, very well for a top-four team in the nation. And number six is Sam Howell, who 
I think if we're comparing them side by side, uh, Ritter is the bigger quarterback out of the two, about four inches taller. I don't know what their like exact height is, but I know Ritter's listed at six four. I think Howell's listed at six foot six one. So he's three to four inches taller than Sam Howell. Probably weigh the same though. But the thing with Howell, there were so many up and downs this season. So many up and downs. Like Ritter, you knew what you were getting from Desmond Ritter. Even if Cincinnati as a team were kind of going up and down, you pretty much knew what you were going to get from Desmond Ritter. Sam Howell was up and down the entire season, it felt like. Now, I think Sam Howell, if you're comparing like as a... How do I want to compare them here? If you are looking at them purely as quarterbacks and take their performances this season, I think most people would take Sam Howell. But that doesn't work like that. You have to take performances into account here. You can't just go, oh yeah, I take Sam Howell. Regardless of what Sam Howell has done, I'm taking Sam Howell. Which is what I just said we could. If we were doing that, that's what we would do. But Sam Howell, I think the craziest part about Sam Howell isn't the passing part. Necessarily, we're talking about the good side. It's how much rushing he's done. Like this dude, like Corral earlier, has done literally everything in his power to make sure North Carolina are good. Like, if North Carolina didn't have Sam Howell, there's no way they're winning six games. They, they ain't winning three games. They might even not even win two if Sam Howell is not their quarterback. They struggled with their backup quarterback against 1-9 Wofford. So I don't think if Sam Howell wasn't there, they would be better than 6-6. Six and six. Sam Howell's previous career highs in rushing are stupid. Four, 146 yards and five touchdowns is his career high. There's two career highs. Those are both from last year. 815 yards, 11 touchdowns. For comparison, Malik Willis has 820 yards and 11 touchdowns. If you would have said before the season that Sam Howell and Malik Willis would have almost the exact same number of yards, and Sam Howell's averaging more yards per carry. He's had 19 less carries than Malik Willis has. He's been a more efficient runner than Malik Willis, who's the most mobile quarterback in this draft class. And that's what I was thinking about moving Howell up because he's had multiple games where he's had to kind of pull pull North Carolina up. And they lost the game on Saturday. Or when was the game? Friday or Saturday? I can't remember. But NC State came back with 26 seconds left and won, by, won the game by four. But he takes a lot of hits. Obviously, he got hurt against Pitt. Didn't play against Wofford, which makes a whole hell of a lot of sense because you're playing a 1-9 team. Don't need to get your starting quarterback hurt. But there's just so many up and downs. I think... If he was more consistent, we might be talking about him still as the number one quarterback in the draft. But there's just been too much inconsistencies with his play this year. And North Carolina as a whole, we said going into the season it was going to be a rough going for him at the start because of the fact you lost all your best players. You lost Javante Williams, Michael Carter, uh, Chaz Newsome, and Diami Brown. You lost all these guys. You're going to get a whole new crew in. There was going to be struggles. This season did not go what North Carolina thought and didn't go what Sam Howell thought. But I think if we're looking at it as a season, it wasn't great. But I think once we get to the combine, I think Howell will be up. And I still think Howell will make an NFL team very, very happy. Howell's got a very live arm. He's way more mobile than what people thought. We said before the season started, he's an underrated athlete. We said that before the season started. And I didn't think, and we were talking about underrated, I didn't think he'd have almost 1,000 yards in a season. I would be lying if I said I thought that. He's very, very tough, fights through injuries, great leader. Like, this is a dude you want as a starting quarterback at the next level. He'll talk some shit as well, which is always very nice. But it wasn't the best in the college sense for that. Uh, number seven, Hendon Hooker. Much like the South Alabama game, he didn't really need to do a lot. <laughs> it wasn't his most efficient game. He went 20, 10 of 18, 156 yards. 
But had two touchdowns, 75 yards on the ground as well. It's Vanderbilt. He didn't really have to do a lot in this game, but it was the most rushing yards he's had since the Ole Miss game. So, yeah, there's not really a lot to say. I like Hendon Hooker. Played well. Didn't turn the ball over. Positives. And he won 45-21, to as pretty much expected. Uh, number eight, Dorian Thompson-Robinson against Cal. Had a very another very nice performance. Three passing touchdowns. Had also 102 yards on the ground as well in a 42-14 to win over Cal in a game that we said could be pretty tough. This is a game we thought would be a lot tougher because Cal's been in a lot of close games this season. I thought they'd be a little tougher for this, but UCLA just slapped him aside. And I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson, though he missed a few game or missed a game this year against Utah and got hurt against Oregon, I think he's very deserving to be the number eight quarterback in this draft class. And I know people would be mad because Sam Hartman's at number nine, and much like Pickett above Matt Corral earlier, Pickett versus Corral, he has more touchdowns, he has more yards. But he has less interceptions. We're talking about Dorian Thompson Robinson now. Less interceptions and way more rushing yards. But they, the rushing touchdowns are one more compared to Sam Hartman, I guess. It's nothing against Hartman. I really like Dorian Thompson Robinson. We've said that the entire season. I said that the preseason. I said it last year. I've said it for years. I like myself some Dorian Thompson Robinson. And dude deserves to be number eight. And Sam Hartman, if he has a good game against Pitt, he will move up a spot. And this list is fluctuating. It's not going to stay the same every single week. Now, it did this week, so that, that kind of gives it away that Bailey Zappi is number 10, but it it usually fluctuates. It's not going to stay the same every single time. Like, people get all mad at people for having lists a certain way. It will change. This isn't a guaranteed all is all, this is what it is list. It's going to change throughout the season. I had conversations with people about that preseason when I had Matt Corral ranked a little low or had CJ Stroud ranked second in the Heisman race like it's gonna change things change all the time remember the Corral thing it was just based off the fact he threw 11 interceptions in two games he hasn't done that this year some of his numbers aren't as good as they were last year but I think this has been a lot more contained year for Matt Corral than it was last year which is what I wanted from Corral and this is was awesome Season was great for Matt Corral. But Sam Hartman, if he does have a good performance against Pitt, he might move up. I think there's, uh, I don't know. I think there's more of a closer race between uh, Pickett and Howell than it is for Hartman and Dorian Thompson Robinson. Just in my opinion, just in my opinion. And then number 10, Bailey Zappi. I mean, do I need to say it? four touchdowns? He hasn't thrown less than, <laughs> he's just an insane passer. Efficient passer. Four touchdowns, 328 yards. 52 touchdowns in the year, 4,900 yards. And after the game against UTSA, he'll have 5,000 yards in the season. Like, he's going to have an insane amount of yards. We know this. There's not really a lot to talk about. And then the other list, we have Brennan Armstrong, Dustin Crum from Kent State, then Akil Glass. He's been on the list before from Alabama A&M. He didn't play this past weekend, but his numbers look very, very nice. From an FCS school, got to put him in the list. Keep the FCS guys up there. He's been on the list a few times this year. Nothing consistent, but he's back in the list. Then we got Jake Hayner from Fresno and then Devin Leary from NC State. And this is all order of last names. It's not order and how good I think the guys are. It's just last name. But recapping the top 10 and who they play this week, if they play, we had number one, we had Matt Corral. He does not play this week, but 10-2, and two, number eight team in the nation. Pretty impressive stuff from Corral and Lane Kiffin there. Number two, Kenny Pickett, and they play Wake Forest in the ACC championship game. Number three, Malik Willis. Uh, Liberty's independent, so they don't play in a conference championship game. Carson Strong, 
Back-to-back two-point losses against Air Force and San Diego State kept them out of the conference championship game, I would imagine. So they are not in a conference championship this year. Desmond at number five. Uh, they're playing Houston in the AAC championship game. That one beat in Cincinnati, which will help them a lot. Sam Howell at number six. They did not make the ACC championship game at six and six. Uh, Hendon Hooker at seven. They are not in an ACC. Cha- they're not in the SEC championship game. Tennessee because you know uh, they got two pretty decent teams at number one and number three that are in that championship. I don't remember what they are, but they're pretty good. At number eight, Dorian Thompson Robinson, UCLA. They are not in a championship game. Number nine, Sam Hartman as in the ACC championship game against Pitt in Charlotte. Then Bailey Zappi at number 10 will take on UTSA in the Conference USA championship game. Oh, man. That's pretty exciting stuff here on the Logan Blackman Show. I sure hope you did enjoy. If you did not, I am sorry. You'll have to listen to another show because it doesn't get much better than this. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah. I do really appreciate if you listen to the show. If you not, screw you. Go tell someone. If you ask them if they didn't listen, or if they listened, if they didn't, slap them in the face for me. Send this is from Logan. Like those stupid commercials you hear on the radio. Like, go to this place and send, say the Logan Blackman Show sent you. Do that. Like, slap them and say the Logan Blackman Show sent us. That's what you got to do. But thank you for listening. Make sure, again, you're following me on all forms of social media, but mainly make sure you're following the Apple Podcast and Spotify account and give a rating on Apple Podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Again, I'll say it again. Hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I apologize, and I will see you all later. Peace.